Today we're going to continue in our series entitled, We're at War. We're fighting these battles in our lives on two fronts, that of that inward battle of our life. We talked about that, about our flesh and our spirit and who controls our life and that outward battle. Many times that involves our relationships in life. So I want to continue talking through that series with you. So grab your Bibles, or your devices. We're going to start in the book of Luke chapter 10, an amazing narrative, verse 38. And then we're going to find ourselves in the book of Colossians chapter 3 in, in verse 1. So I want to talk to you about this thing I called but one thing is necessary. And when I mention that, that kind of probably starts you to be a little anxious anyway in your life because you're saying, Mark, are you really telling me that in life there's one thing that's necessary? Because have you lost your mind? If you're, if you're thinking, have you lost your mind? That's a good question also, isn't it? Yes, because that probably could be debatable. And so, you know, but have you seen, you know, you would say to me, have you seen the reminders on my phone? Do you know all the things that are going on in my life? Let me talk to you for a moment before we really get into this teaching. It's going to kind of set the stage for us together. Let me talk to you for a moment about the priorities of your life. Now, already that frustrates some of you. If I'm going to talk about priorities, it does. But for a moment, I know that we didn't give you notes. We're not doing that right now. But on your device or maybe just in your mind, make a list of four things. Four things in your life that are critical to you right now. Four things in your life that are critical to you. We could need some game music to play right now or something. But four things that are absolutely critical to you within your life. Write them down. Maybe you can memorize them. You say, Mark, I got so much on my mind. I couldn't remember those four things right now, right? So just four things that are critical in your life to you. Now, here's what we're going to do for a moment. We're going to divide those four things into two groups. Two things separate two things from those four things in your on your list today that are most important to you two things on that list that are absolutely most important they matter more than the other two things two things that are most important to you now you have two lists say mark this is confusing i just came to hear a sermon right i didn't come to do all of this stuff no so bear me for a minute it's going to lay some good groundwork for us for our talk this morning so there's two things that matter to you now here's the thought how it's how, it's how you spend your time. Do you spend most of your time on those two things that you said are most important to you out of those four critical things? Do you spend your time on those two, most of your time on those two things? Or do you spend most of your time on the other two things? Or do you spend your time on the 20 other things that are on your list, right? Yes. Because when we look at our life, what we realize is that, or what we think is everything is urgent. Everything is urgent in our life. And and so what I want to talk to you about a few moments is the urgent versus the important things of your life. So some time ago, I discovered this thing called the Eisenhower principle. So a little survey. How many have ever heard of that? Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Ah, well, there's one or there's a few. Okay, there's a couple of youth. So the Eisenhower principle, it is a principle developed by President Eisenhower who simply um, that he that he used this to uh, plan his day. So he divides, he takes a square, he takes a cube, and he divides it into four quadrants. And one is due, the other is plan, the other is delegate, and the other is eliminate. Now, I think we have a graphic. I don't know, do we? Yeah, there it is. Perfect, beautiful. So here's how it works, okay? Uh, you came to church, thought you could get a sermon, you get a motivational speech about how to plan your life. Isn't that great? Yes. And, and so here's the thing. Do, the first quadrant, it's those things in your life that are urgent and important. You know, those are the things that you got to take care of in life. Exactly. That's what you have to do. The second block is that of plan. 
There are things that are not urgent, but yeah, they're important. That's what you're going to do for the future. That's what I'm going to do for the future. You know, the things that I'm vision casting for the future of my life. And then the third is to delegate. They're urgent, but they're not important. So what that means is I can get somebody else to do those things for me. I trust them so I can get them to do those things for me. And then the third is eliminate. Those things in my life that are not urgent and they're not important, so I'm going to remove them from my schedule because they're not urgent and important. But the problem that we have, leave that up for a minute, is really, I think, with that last one more than any of the others. Why? Because we live life where everything is urgent. Everything is urgent within our lives. And I think what the problem is that we go through life and we mix up, we mix up the urgent things with the important things is what we do. So we place more attention on the things that we think needs our attention than the things that we know that really need our attention. I'm going to talk to you about that in a moment. But what results in my life and your life when I live like that is stress, is anxiousness in my life. What a lesson for us to talk about. And you think, well, that's wonderful. You're preaching a lesson from Eisenhower and his principle. No, I'm going to teach you a lesson. God is going to speak to us from his word because this is where this comes from. God knows us so well. He knows how you and I live. He knows our life. And so it's the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It's a great narrative. I want to read this to you because truly about it's about teaching you and I how to deal with this thing about those things that are urgent in our lives and those things that are important within our lives. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I underline that part. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I like saying that. Martha, Martha. It almost reminds you of the Brady Bunch. It says it's Marsha, Marsha, right? But it's Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Stop for a point because the title of our talk today is not my idea. These are the words of Jesus. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about this story real quick before we kind of get into some talking points. The first is this. This is not a story about women. It's not. This is a story about disciples. And this is a story about discipleship. And yes, the story is dominated by two women. They are the players, the personality, other than Christ, it is. And what's interesting is, I think, that in, first, this, in the first century, this was written, that what we realize is that women were saw as, seen as property. They were, they, they, in, if, if anything, marginalized in this culture. So to have a story really dominated by two women was somewhat shocking in this culture. The point is not... The activity of Martha. That's not the point at all. It's the choice that Jesus discusses with Martha. That's the choice or that's the point. It's about the choice between something good and something better. And boy, we struggle. I struggle with that. We all struggle with that because everything is urgent. It's the choice between what is urgent within my life and what is important within my life. 
And for many of us, just talking about this already causes our anxiety to rise, doesn't it? Yes, it already causes. Say, Mark, if, if I'd known you were going to talk about this today, if you had sent this out before, I wouldn't have come. You know, I would have stayed home. I watched somebody else online. But, but yet we're talking about this because I think it's important to us. We struggle with this thing and it brings anxiety and it brings difficulty in our life. This protagonist, Mary, she sits at the feet of Jesus while Martha is preparing the meal. She's working in her gift of hospitality for Jesus and the others in the room. But don't miss the point. I think what's important, one of the many things, because there's so many things in this little story, is this. Jesus commends Mary, yes, but he also has dinner with Martha. And I thought about that. That hit me when I read this story over and over again. That There's no one that's disparaged by Christ. There's no one that's lessened by Jesus in this story. So don't go there. There's not the good guy and the bad guy. There's not the hero and the villain in this story. So don't even go there. It's truly about, for you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, what's urgent and what's important. That is a huge point. So let's clear the room and let's kind of make it uh, an even ground for discussion this morning. How many of you feel like sometimes, maybe not this morning, but you feel like in your life that everything within your life is absolutely urgent? Raise your hand if you ever feel that way. Anybody in the room? Anybody? We have some people. Very good. Perfect. That you feel like everything is pulling against you, that everything wants a part of you or a piece of you in life. And so everything feels absolutely urgent within your life. So here's what Martha does. She goes to Jesus. She makes this comment to him, you know, concerning her sister. But when you read the text and read it over and over, what you realize, it's not just that she's making a comment about her sister. She's making a comment about her Lord also. She questions Jesus if he cares. She questions Christ if he even notices that she's preparing the meal by herself while her sister is sitting at his feet. And she does that in this moment of distraction, the text tells us. So she questions Jesus as if she expects only one answer from him. And that's a positive answer because she says to him, tell her then to help me. No matter what he's going to say to her, she says, tell her then to help me. It's like, Jesus, do the right thing because you know where Mary is supposed to be helping me to prepare a meal for you. And she speaks that in distraction. Don't take the wrong idea away from this. When Jesus says to her, Mary, Mary, what he means, or Martha, Martha, what he means is that he cares for her. Is exactly what, it, it, listen, no man turns down a meal. Isn't that right? That's true. It, it's not like, I don't want stuff coming out of your kitchen. Take it back, you know. We're just going to sit in here and we're going to sing some worship songs. And I'm going to speak to Mary as she sits in my No, no man turns down a meal. So it's not there. It doesn't say that he does that. But it's her thinking. It's how she processes what's urgent and what's important. She's worried about those things. And because of her worry, it distracts her from the things that are absolutely important. I've heard a lot of people talk, this, talk through this story over all the years that I've been in church. And, and, and what I realized from just looking at it and just sitting in the text, what I realized is this, that Jesus cares for both Mary and Martha. Understand that. And we paint one with a very bad brush at times, but that's not the case because it's the choice. What is urgent? What's urgent here is the meal that comes from the kitchen. 
and it has a shelf life. It does. It will at some point spoil. But what's important is the meal that simply served the other meal that served at the feet of Jesus. That is absolutely what is important. And we struggle between the two. We have for years. So for a few moments, can I talk with you about that? And so I think we can have some help from Paul from the book of Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there. We'll refer back to our narrative for a few moments throughout the teaching this morning. But mainly we're going to talk from Colossians chapter 3 for a few moments together. So I have a couple of thoughts for you this morning. The first is this. Make the decision to seek the one thing above all things. Make that decision to seek the one thing above all things. It is Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above. Underline that part, that we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He starts with this phrase, raised in Christ. What does he are raised with Christ? What does he mean by that? It brings us back to the resurrection. It brings us back to this overwhelming understanding of the result of the resurrection in my life and your life. And that is that the resurrection brings justification for you and I. What does that mean? What that means is God no longer keeps score of my life. And God no longer keeps score of your life. In light of that powerful gospel understanding of justification... He says, then we turn our eyes upon Christ. Then we seek the things that are above. Why? Because what we believe determines how we live. Understand that. What you and I believe absolutely determines how we live. And if we believe this indicative that we are justified in Christ, then we live in the imperative that we find in this text that we trust God's transforming grace that we can live by the will of God. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about all of that And maybe have a a better understanding. Because Paul does not leave us with some smoky, ethereal understanding or lack of understanding of all of this. He leaves us us with a present identity, a present um, understanding of what he's saying to you and I today. That we're to turn our face to Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. That perfect union of love and community. That that is our pursuit of life. That's our pursuit of life. That's the thing that we're after more than anything else in this world. Whether you're here this morning on campus or whether you're sitting in your living room or wherever you are at church at home, that the pursuit of life is Christ, is is simply to know him, to walk with him, for him to mold my life and for him to mold your life. And sometimes that's painful for him to be revealed to the world through you and I, as imperfect as we are, as he revealed the Father through the world when he was here on this earth, to simply place joy in our life in the middle of a pandemic around us. That's it. That's our pursuit in life. And I know where your mind is going. I have been where you are right now. And I will probably be there at some point again in my life. Mark, what are you doing? You're telling us to let Christ be the pursuit of our life and everything. But what about all of the other urgent things of my life? What do I do? How do I manage all of that and pursue Christ at the same time? Go back to our story. Luke chapter 10 again. I told you we would go back momentarily throughout the teaching. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. Listen, dinner is not bad. 
Can I tell you that? Because I love dinner. I really do, right? So dinner is not bad. That's not what this is about. Unnecessary things do not always equate to them being bad things in our life. And I thought, how do I share this truth this morning where it is not some ethereal idea, but it's a practical understanding of what's going on. And so I wrote this in my journal this week. This is about having a single focus, yet maintaining an awareness of all the other things that comprise my life. It's about having a single focus, yet maintaining an awareness of all the other things that make up my life. Does that mean that I focus on God that I ignore everything else in the world around me? Is that what that means? That means that if, if I simply, uh, you know, focus on God, that tomorrow morning I'm not going to work. Dude, I'm not going to work. I'm going to stay home and focus on Jesus for a while, you know. Call my boss. Hey, not coming to work today. Staying at home, focusing on Jesus. And he says, great, have fun focusing on Jesus thir- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, too, because you no longer have a job, right? Yes. That's not what this is about at all. Here's my thinking, that I can still love and serve Reba and seek the things that are above simultaneously. Why? Because as I love and I serve her as Christ loved and served the church and gave himself for her, I'm glorifying him in my love for her. Do you understand that? This is the way this works. I'm seeking him while I serve her. It's not about, this is not about me becoming a monk, wearing a robe, you know, kind of thing, and sitting in a corner and humming all the time. That's not what this is about. No, it's about you and I in the daily stuff of life, struggling between this choice of what is urgent in my life and what is important within my life. And I'm not saying to you that you're going to walk away from this teaching this morning And just have, boom, everything is good and everything is in line like it should be. No, no. But what I'm saying to you is it's going to give you some help and understanding of even why you have anxiousness in your life sometime and why that you are under stress at times. It's this struggle, the battle in your life between what is urgent in your life and what is important. And he says that we are to set our mind on him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I, I, I simply thought what the question would be, then why are we following him? I think that's where we have to start. Then why are we following him? Because if you're using Jesus to get something from him, understand that, and you don't get that from him, then what happens? Then you become angry at him. Isn't that right? If you're using him to get something from him and you don't get that from him, then you become angry at him. You don't get a promise. You don't get a promise fulfilled that he never made to you to begin with, right? Yes, I'm a Christian, so life should go absolutely smooth, smooth, and there never should be a bump in life whatsoever. And so when the bump comes, man, I'm angry with God. Why are you seeking him? He never made that promise to you. In fact, he told you in life you're going to have some tribulations. Isn't that what he said? You're going to struggle with the things between what is urgent and what is important within your life. And so when I simply hold God, I think the principle or promises that I made and not him, and he doesn't follow through with those as I think he should, then I feel betrayed by promises that, well, I made to myself and not God. What do you mean? Oh, some people say, hey, I'm going to love Jesus because he's going to restore my marriage, right? And I'm going to love Jesus because he's going to transform my crazy kids because my kids are driving me nuts. They are. 
And if we have to do at-home distant learning and not go back to the classroom, then I'm going to be certifiable nuts. You know, a nut I am. Because I can't deal with these beautiful, loving little gifts of God in my home. I just can't do that. No, if God doesn't give me a new job and then make me the boss, you know, then, then I, I'm, I'm not going to serve him. I'm going to serve him if he gives me all A's in class. Hey, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to pursue Jesus. If he would tell my lazy sister to get up off of the floor and get in the kitchen and help me serve a meal, right? It's what's urgent and what's important. Here's the thing. The goal is not to restore your marriage. Is that wrong? No. Again, get get away from that mindset for a moment. No. No. The, the goal is not to restore your marriage and the goal is not for you to have better kids and the goal is not for you to have a better job where you're the boss or for you to have better grades or for you to have someone help you in the kitchen. That that's, that's not the goal. Those things are urgent, yes, but what is really important? The goal here is Jesus. The goal here is the good news of the gospel. It's what it is. It's that he has fulfilled the will of his father by redeeming and reconciling you and I back to the father. Understand that. And very little in our life outside of what Christ has done for you and I will ever be perfect in this world. That's what's important. Can God do those things on my list? Absolutely he can. Should I stop asking God for those things? Absolutely, you should not stop asking him for those things. But in those moments, and here's my thinking, but in those moments when those things don't work out the way you want them to work out, and that's really our struggle, isn't it? In those moments when they don't work out the way you think they should work out, if we're focused on him, if we're focused on the things that are above, if we're focused on his sovereign will for our lives, we default to that wisdom, knowing that God is for us and God is not against us. So we begin to grow in our faith and we begin to grow in our trust in God, even when things don't work out the way we think they should, and we don't grow in our anger toward him. Those things are urgent. I'm not telling you they're not. No, but I'm telling you, here's what's important. That one thing is important. And when you are focused on that one thing, then what I realize is this. When those other urgent things in your life just don't work out like the way you think they should, you're going to grow in some faith and you're going to grow in some love for God and trust God because you know God is for you even when those things don't work out. And you're not going to grow in anger toward him when you're focused on those things that are above. That's important. That's important. That's the struggle with Martha. That's the struggle not only in her heart, but in her her mind also. That I'm focused on him, but I'm attentive to all the other things in my life. That I can't ignore them. Dinner was important that night. Understand that. It was absolutely important. It was urgent, but it was not the one thing that was important. Can I talk to you about this point? It, in what ways can I seek the one thing that's necessary? I think I ha- we have to go there. We have to have the practical aspect of it. It's Colossians 3, again, verse 1, and then add verse 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So here's two questions for you this morning. What in your life causes you to love Christ more? 
What in your life causes you to love Christ more? Oh, it's the gospel, right? This is the gospel narrative that Christ, that God found me in the sin of my life, broken and undone. Man, I had nothing to bring to the table. What does he do? In his great love, he sends Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I'm totally undeserving of any of that. And that now I am covered in the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. So God sees me through that. The wrath that God had toward me as a sinner has been satisfied through the life of his son. Yes, that's the gospel. I understand all of that. But how do I, how do I navigate this thing between the urgent and the important? That's what I want to know. How do I navigate this? First, I think it involves scripture. It, it involves scripture. If you want to simply set your mind on things that are above then you got to have an understanding of God, right? Yes, because here's what we do. Without Scripture, if we're loving God without Scripture, then what we're going to do is we're going to create our own opinions of God. And we do that sometimes. Why we say things like, well, God would never do this, or God would never do that, or surely that wasn't God because that's not the way God works. And so we, we simply... Without that scriptural basis, even though we're loving God, understand that, that we're creating our own opinions. It started from the very book of Genesis where they attempted to create God in their very own image. So it starts with scripture. Then I think it involves prayer. Absolutely. Prayer. What is prayer? Is prayer just a conversation with God who is our friend? No, it's far more than that. Prayer is this authentic and transparent experience with God. Prayer is an experience where one you understand your absolute dependency upon God, and two, you understand your ultimate trust in Him. But I think it also involves community. It also involves you and I walking out this life, walking out this life in community with those that are also setting their mind on those things that are above. I learned a long time ago this, I think, great nugget of wisdom for life, and it's this. That we become who we expose ourselves to. At some point, the longer we expose ourselves to people around us that maybe are not encouraging and edifying with us in life, the longer we expose ourselves to them, then that's what we become. And so we find ourselves in community with those that simply are focused on things that are above. Doesn't mean I ignore the world, and not at all. Doesn't mean I don't follow out and, and being a disciple and making disciples. That's not it at all. But I have to find community. It's important. But what I realized when I was thinking through this process, that those things that cause me to grow greater in my love of God don't have to be overtly Christian. They don't. It can be through music. It can be through the arts. It can be through nature. It can be through a good book. It can be your relationship with your spouse, your friends, your gospel community. I'll use my wife again this morning. She had no idea I was doing this, okay? But I use my wife again. And what I realized when I look at Reba, what I realized that, man, I don't deserve her. I really don't deserve her, you know? But what I understand is when I look at her in that light, that takes me right back to the gospel. Yes, that Jesus loved me and accepted me when I was unlovable and I never deserved him. When I held my boys when they were small, when I hold my granddaughters, I, I, look at, I looked at my boys, I look at my granddaughters, and, and I say to myself, if it ever came down to it, I would give my life in a very moment for their life to save their life. And what I realize that Jesus did, it brings me back to the gospel. It's when Reba and I are, are walking on a beach. I have to mention the beach, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's vacation time. 
And so we're walking on a beach in, in Jupiter, Florida some years ago. Sunset coming up. It's absolutely beautiful. And we stumble upon a bunch of little baby sea turtles that have just hatched out. And they're all crawling on the beach trying to get back to the water. And we watch them for a while. And, and then, you know, it's illegal to touch them. The first thing you want to do is touch one, right? Yes, but you can't. So we watch them. And all of a sudden, we see one that's flipped upside down. And we see one that's totally buried in the sand. They can't get out. And here's what we do. We simply touch them is what we do. We can't watch them die. We can't watch some bird come and eat them. We flip the little guy over. We take him. We put him in the water. We dig the one out of the sand and we put him in the water also. And what I realized that Christ came when I was stuck in my sin and I was really upside down in my life and he rescued me. It's the gospel. We see the gospel in so many ways. That I'm attentive to the urgent things. And that word things is plural because there's many of them in my life. But I become focused on the important thing and that's singular. And that is Jesus. So when God doesn't perform the way I want God to perform. I trust his sovereign wisdom for my life. But I have to say this before we quit. What is in your life causes you to lose to love Christ less. And I think sometimes we go to that immediate thing. It's all the immoral and wicked things I do. But I think many times it's the morally neutral things that we do in life that causes that. Verse 39 of Luke 10, our story again. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And this part really hit me. That she was distracted with much serving So watch what happens. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care is what she said. Here's what distraction does in our life. When we're not focused on the one necessary thing and we're distracted with all the other things that are around us, it causes us to lose sight of God's heart for us. It causes you and I to lose sight of God's character and nature for you. We forget that he cares. Why? Because we begin to trust in the meal that comes out of the kitchen And we stop trusting in the meal that's being served at his feet. That I begin to trust in myself. That I can make all this work in life. One is urgent. It's not bad. But one is important. One feels a physical need only. One feels both a physical and a spiritual need in my life. And I find him in the meal out of the kitchen too. I can see him there, right? Yes. Who else but God could take, and this is water, but it's a coffee cup. Who else could take God, who else but God could take coffee, right? That looks like mud. Doesn't it looks like oil out of your car, doesn't it? But boy, doesn't it taste good at five or six o'clock in the morning, doesn't it? It tastes good. It tastes good at five or six o'clock in the afternoon. Who could do that? Who could take a vegetable that grows in the dirt in your yard or your garden? And then when you cook it up and serve it, it no longer, it, it never tastes like the dirt it grew in. Isn't that right? Yes, that's God's common graces. We see God in that. It, I, still, I still take care of those things in my life, but I'm focused on him. So we end with this thought, we're hidden in him. It's Colossians chapter three, this time verses two and three. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I say this to you as we tie this together. 
And we will read one more text from the book of Luke as we finish. But I say this to you this morning, that this kind of teaching can cause you to feel like a failure. It can cause you to feel like a failure. But what Paul does, he takes care of that before you ever let that enter any space of your mind or your heart. He does that because he says this, that you are to focus on things that above with the understanding, with the understanding that you've died in Christ, you're hidden, you're covered by God in his grace. Understand it. So as you and I are walking this dirt path of sanctification, as we're walking this out in our life, I think the war of our life, the war of our life is not that we always get it right when it comes to our priorities. It's not when we always get it right concerning that of urgent and what's important. I think the war of our life is this, that we sometimes forget that we're hidden in him. That's the battle. That's the war. That we forget that we're covered by his grace and his mercy. That we forget that in those moments when we don't get this right, in those moments when we're not focused on the one necessary thing, that we run to something else when we don't run to him. Even when I fail to cause this to be my focus in life, even when I fail for that, those things in heaven to be my focus, it always, even that brings me back to God itself because I realize that I'm hidden in him, that he hides me. He hides me. And through Christ, I'm hidden in God. Luke 10, 41, and I end with this with you this morning from our, our story says this, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I, I, I love that. I, I, I try to see the, the, maybe the inflection of his voice in this text, put myself in, in my imagination in that room that, that maybe he, he stood up and he looked in her eyes and with compassion, not with him scolding her or correcting her, but with compassion. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha, you have missed the mark here. But nonetheless, you are hidden in me. I think in this subject, in this kind of teaching, it's very easy for you to walk out this door, get in your car and think, I failed that test today. You know, forget the four blocks, you know, the, the do, the plan the delegate and the eliminate. Forget that because that because I failed this already. But what God says over the overarching understanding here is that you're hidden in him. That tomorrow I get up and I address these issues in my life and I keep Christ as the focus. And in those moments where I mess up and in those moments where I just don't get it right, that I'm hidden in him. And for those of you that are fundamentalists and you're thinking how I can put this in structure of my life. And so here's what I'm going to do tomorrow morning. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and I'm going to have my devotional. And then after that, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to pray for 40 minutes and I'm going to do this. And and I'm going to do that. And can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with structure and there's nothing wrong with those plans within your life. But I have to say to you that if you are putting all that together without the, the, 
the overarching umbrella of this fact that you are hidden in him, that you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. You are. But tomorrow morning I will get up and I will say, God, these things are urgent in my life, but this thing is important and that is you. So God, even in those urgent things, help me to see you. Help me to see you when I go to work and help me to see you, God, on the way to work. When I'm running late and I'm praying in the name of Jesus over every traffic light to be green and every traffic light that morning is red. That God, I see you in teaching me about patience and also that I should get up earlier. But when I live my life seeing that one thing is important, but I'm attentive to all the other things in my life that are worship, that are urgent. Then when things don't work out, I say, Lord, I know you still love me and I know I'm still hidden in you. And I trust you. So would you bow your heads for a moment of prayer with me this morning? Father, in oh, the light of your mercy and your goodness in our life, we trust you. In those moments of, of our life when we just don't always get it right, we lean into you, Lord. But God, we, we want to be obedient to Scripture. God, we desire to follow your will for our lives because we know that's the very best for us. And so we don't just tag on the line, but this is the way I am to any of this. But we know that you can bring change in our lives by helping us through this struggle of the things that are urgent and the thing that is important. It is you, Father, above everything else. That is the lens that we live life through. When things don't work out, we know you're still in control. We know you still love us. We know we're still hidden in you. So, Father, open our hearts and our minds for that comfort in those times of stress and those times of great anxiety. And speak to us, Lord. We love you today. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and our lives as we surrender ourselves to you.